Okay, guys, welcome to Coach's World Podcast, a podcast covering the day-to-day life of a coach, as well as the good, bad, and the ugly side of coaching. Today, we welcome special guest Kyle Hall to our second episode, Progression. So, Kyle, tell us a bit about yourself, you know, your coaching background and your journey into football. Yeah, how you doing, Charlie? Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so, my history, my coaching background, so I've been coaching just for over 10 years now, uh, UA for B qualified, uh, youth award. Uh, just in the middle of pro in the uh, applying for my UEFA A uh, qualification, so hopefully fingers crossed I'll get onto that. Uh, I work full time at the football college, uh, which is a BTEC in sport performance and excellence. So my title there uh, or my role there is director of football. Uh, Part time I work at Corn uh, as a first team coach. So that's in the Northern Premier League, which which used to be the sort of the Evo stick, uh, and that's in the Northwest Division. And then on the side of that, I do a little bit of individual training, uh, small group training um, for a company called the Football Development Programme, which runs alongside the college. Brilliant. So you've got a lot going on then, Kyle? Yeah, a fair bit. I think within, you know, within coaching, I think you, know, you, do need, you, you do need to keep busy all the time and, and sort of keep on the circuit and keep yourself busy and known. And, and I think it helps going forward. 100%. So what, what made you want to become a coach, Kyle? Well, uh, I mean, going back 10 years now, um, I don't think I was I was ever sort of, you know, wanting to become a coach. I think I sort of fell, fell upon it. Um, I was I was working as a, as a sales rep at the time uh, in construction. And then it was uh, just a sort of a, a lad who I used to play football with. Uh, he had his own coaching company. Uh, it was it was, the you know, the girls side of the game. And I sort of went down and volunteered uh, and then sort of, I, you know, I grew to enjoy it and I sort of started volunteering you know on more nights um you know the the opposite nights to when I was training when I was playing at the time and then um from from sort of academy juniors which was the, the girls sector I went into you know um a company called Strikers which was run by Dave Flickcroft and, and still is and that's where I sort of you know I started to to sort of fall in love with it a little bit more um you know volunteer hours become sort of paid hours um but you know I was I was learning uh I wasn't great sort of you know academic through school and all that kind of stuff but you know once I started coaching I had a sort of a vision that you know I wanted to do it as a career so did you know from an early age obviously you played as well did did you always want to be involved in the game as you know a career um I, yeah I mean I, again I didn't really sort of look into uh you know the, the, the bigger picture I mean you know when I played I wasn't I wasn't the greatest um you know I didn't I, I played at an amateur level played in the West West Lanks um division uh, for, for my local team, Turton, um, you know, and I was just sort of playing football for fun, really, um, you know, consistently week in, week out. Um, again, I, like I said, I wasn't wasn't the greatest of players. Um, my, my technical proficiency wasn't wasn't great. Uh, I understood the game tactically because uh, obviously watching football from from an early age. And um, you know, once I got into sort of coaching, when I was sort of doing the you know the two of them. Uh, dual, uh, I, I sort of quickly realised that I could probably, um, you know, have a, have a better career as a coach because I, I was a better coach than I was a player. So that's why I made that transition into coaching. Um, and then obviously, like I said before, with the, the sales job, um, I, I end up sort of canning that a little bit and, and following my dream, really. So, Do you feel that a lot of coaches who, you know, maybe weren't as good as players have, you know, that's what they want to do? They want to go into the coaching side? Do you think they'll have a brighter career within the game? Yeah, I mean, it's you know you you sort of hear that 
sort of conversation, you know, with, with ex-pros going into coaching or, or, you know, players who, you know, who didn't play going into coaching. And, and you know, I think it's, I think both both ways, both pathways is successful. Uh, you, you know, you look at someone like Brendan Rodgers, who didn't really have a, a, you know, a great playing career and Jose Mourinho didn't have a, play, a great playing career and, you know, done really well for themselves as, as managers. But then, you've, you know, you've got your ex-pros like your John Terry, your Steven Gerrards, obviously, you know, Lampard up at Chelsea up until recently. And I think, you know, both sides have a have a, a different sort of tale to tell. Um, I think, you know, where they can talk about sort of experiences in, in big game situations. Um, I think, you know, you've got, you know, likes of myself and, you know, managers like the Cowley brothers who have come from sort of an education background and, and just, you know, more of a sort of a, a man management, um, you know, and, and talking to, to players on a, on a real life basis, really, and talking about them, you know, the, the, the day-to-day problems and the day-to-day sort of uh, runnings as, as they would as human beings. So, yeah, and obviously I, you know, I was doing a similar job to yourself, um, you know, with coaching connections. Um, and I feel like you'd have to get more down on their level, you know, get to know them more on a personal basis. What do you think is life at the pro level or like the highest Premier League clubs? Like, what do you think they're dealing with? Because I know what we deal with on a day-to-day basis too in our job. You know, what, what would you think on them? Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it is a tough one. Um, you know, it's, it's a full-time gig. The professional footballers, um, you know, but at the end of the day, they are human beings. You know, you still got to relate to them. Uh, you got to be civil with them. You got to understand sort of their, you know, their life. Um, you know, when they're up, when they're down, uh, how you manage that as a as a as a manager or as a coach. Um, you, but I've, I've sort of what I've sort of realised is whatever level level you you're coaching at or whatever age group you're coaching at, footballers and you know and the human beings and they just want to play football. Um, you know, so. It, it's you know it's same with the pro level. I haven't coached at the pro level, but I've been in, you know, to shadow uh, managers at a pro level. And at the end of the day, you know, you give them a five v five game, or you give them a th- you know a, a possession game, and and they thrive off it. You know, it doesn't have to be a complicated exercise or a complete complicated session, or you know, it doesn't always have to be tactical. You know, they, they love the repetition. Um, yeah. You know, they love the competition. They love the game situations. And I you know, I always got told that. Football players were like trained dogs, you know, they just need to tick over and tick over and tick over. And and like I said, they, they love that competition element. Yeah, you know, with you mentioning that, like, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel, you know, right now, even at grassroots level, there's a lot of pressure put onto a lot of coaches because these parents want to see these, you know, sessions with a mannequin here, a mannequin there, a pole here, 15 cones out, all that type of stuff. But, you know, you look at the pros, if it's good enough for them, why isn't it good enough for these? Do you know, do, do you know what I'm saying there? Like, you see it so many times. If yeah. the coach hasn't got all the right equipment down. Yeah, I, then... yeah, I understand it. I mean, you know, you look at sort of social media now, obviously that's a that's a massive factor. That in... plays the biggest part, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's you know, a massive factor in this generation and, you know, there's there's so many people, you know, becoming individual coaches, you know, so many people doing small groups, team sessions, um, you know, and it, it does sometimes think the, the more, the, you know, the, the, the more equipment on, on sort of show, it looks like it's the most detailed. But, you know, you look at the most simplistic sessions. Uh, a rondo. Yeah, a rondo, you know, they, they, they are, the, you know, sim- a simple session. It's everything within a game apart from shooting and, and, and heading, if you want to play the ball on the floor. Yeah. You know, you're getting your receiving aspect, you're getting your first touch, you're getting, you know, you're passing, your weight awareness. of pass, your detail, your pass, your awareness, your yeah. scanning. 
So you get everything, you know, within a game in a in a ten by ten or a twelve by twelve. Um, but it, you know, it's it's not always about making it as complicated as possible because uh, I think when you make it as complicated as possible, they're the, they're the sessions that you have to revisit over and over again because you won't get you know you won't get the best out of the uh, out of the practice with those players because you spend half of the time you know explaining the session to them and and what you want from them. So sometimes I think you know you keep it minimal, you keep it simple, uh, and you get the best best results out of it. The simple game at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, well, they always say, don't they? It's a simple game made complicated by idiots. Exactly. That's exactly it, yeah. Um, so I'll just on to my next question, Kyle. So obviously, you know, I met you out in America. And if you listened to me last podcast, you know, I spoke about you a little bit. Um, you know, just talking about, you know, how much I learned from you. Because I was only young when I went out there and I was young when I met you, weren't I? Um, now, how, how do you feel about your progression as a coach since you got home from America? Do you feel like you've improved massively? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I've. Im- I mean, yeah, I've improved. Uh, I think that. I think any job you you do, uh, whether you're in football, whether you're in sports, whether you're in business, I think you, you do need to improve. I think that's on you to improve. Um, I mean, America. I, I'm not, never going to knock America. Um, it gives me valuable experiences. You know, the good thing about being over there in America is I was on the grass three hours a night. You know, I was, I was coaching just like yourself. You know, five six hours. Uh, sorry, five, six days a week. So my, my, my sort of hours calculated together, you know, I was, I, was, I was 15 to 18 hours a week. So if you look at a coach over in, in England, whether it's, you know, grassroots or whether it's academy, um, you know, you, you've, you've tripled their hours. So, you, you know, your, your development hours as a coach is it, it, tripled and it's, it, it's brilliant. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. where you sort of, you learn. So, um, so that's you know I, I won't ever take away from from America uh, in terms of that. But the the other side of it is you know the downside of that is it, a lot of it is self taught. Um, sometimes you know it's valuable. You know the, the learning hours are valuable. You know yeah you, you know you're racking up your 18 hours. But a lot of it sometimes it is self taught. But I would recommend it to any young coach or any coach you know who's who's got the opportunity to go over to a, a foreign country or, or you know a country like America where I wouldn't I would say the level isn't as good as it is in England, but like I said, the learning hours, uh, they're invaluable, you know, really, really good. 100%. That just takes me on to my next question now. Um, how much of a positive impact do the coaching courses and badges have on a coach? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the coaches, yeah, they all, I mean, the, the great. Um, I think, you, you know, you've got to get in that mindset of, you know, not taking everything out of it or taking everything away from it because, you know, I truly believe that, you know, you, you've got to have your own identity. I think when I first started out, I think every every coach that I went watching, um, I was always trying to sort of copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. And I think over the years, you realise that it isn't about copy and pasting and, and becoming, you know, someone that you, you admire or someone you think is a good coach. It's about sort of taking your own little spin and, and, and turning it into, to, you know, to, to how you sort of deliver and, and, and what works for you. Um, so, I mean, on the coaching courses, you know, you'll always take something new. Um, I mean, um, the takeaways I got sort of on, on my UEFA B uh, was a lot of it was, you know, the, the review and the reflection side of it. So, you know, I was always quite good at the, the, the planning and delivery. Uh, but I was, I would, you know, after my session, I would just get in my car and, and drive away and, and wouldn't think about it. But now yeah. I sort of take the, you know, the reflection side of it and I sit down after, after the session, whether it's in the office, whether it's at home, and, and I'll go through, you know, what worked well, what didn't work well, you know, what you know did I touch in 
or my key messages, you know, if it was a, if it was a, a, a final third session, you know, did my number nine, then my seven, my 11, they, did they get the objectives out of what I wanted? Um, you know, so that was a, that was a big thing. Um, identifying, identifying my own philosophy in a, in a, in a greater detail. So I always sort of understood, you know, the philosophy side of it and, and what is a philosophy, but I think with the B it taught me sort of, you know, what, what the, what the key details were uh, and why. Uh, and then, you know, you've got your youth module um, awards, which I think, I thought, I thought they were great courses, uh, but I think the communication styles were really good. Haven't so, they changed now? Yeah, they've, I don't really understand. Um, I think they fall under the UA for B, uh, but when I did mine, it was, it was a separate award, but. Yeah, but now, but isn't what, isn't, if you do one of them, it's, you know, classes as UA for B. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, like I say, it's they, they tick it off with the UA. I'm, I'm not too sure how 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 it's run now, but you know, when I did mine, they were a separate qualification. But I mean, going back to that, I mean, the, the thing I sort of took from that was the communication styles. And um, I think you see a lot of coaches, you know, using just like a command style, or a lot of coaches using, you know, a, a sort of a, a drive-by style. I think with the the youth mods, it was always about, you know identifying which sort of command style so communication style was the best for that practice so it might be a drive-by you know where you know i pull you quickly and say charlie you know what can you do better in that scenario or it might yeah. be guided discovery where i allow you to sort of um you know figure it out for yourself so you know all players are differently and, and all, all players respond differently to, to different communication styles so so that yeah so I'd, I'd say all courses are good obviously like i said before i'm, I'm i just applied for my a license so hopefully you know, I'll take more more from the uh, the eleven v eleven format from that, and and working you know uh, on the opposition and what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, and, and you know how can I identify sort of their their weaknesses and get a result from that. So, what's your future goals then? You know, if you get accepted onto your A license, or um, uh, if you pass it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's I've always sort of sort of said it. You know, coming back from America is, you know, I've I've done these these courses and you know and and. And then, you know, if I've ever applied for a job and all that kind of stuff, it, I've never sort of seemed to be hitting that criteria of what they want. Um, and I've always sort of said, if I get my A license, it opens the door, you know, I, you know, I tick all the sort of, uh, you know, job specifics. It's on me to then interview well and, uh, and and get the job that way. So, you know, there's, there's no excuse for, you know, for them to say, oh, well, yeah, you need your A license. Unfortunately, you've not got your A license, so you're not getting a job. So, I think it would just give me a little bit more opportunity, obviously a little bit more scope for learning. Uh, obviously, I, I'm you know I'm a massive, massive believer of, of learning the game. I don't I don't think you'll ever stop learning. Um, and and again, it's you know it's great for networking and, and, and you know you, you know yourself. It's you know the football world's brilliant. It's you know if you if you can sort of take from people you work alongside, then then great. Um, but but yeah, I mean it, it's. It's it's invaluable, really, the coaching course. And I'm just going back to sort of your, you know, your progressions. Um, you know, when we're talking about being over in America, I think sort of when I've come back home uh, in England, I think it's 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 helped me a lot to to progress. But I think it's I think it's that's from the environments that I put myself in. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm at the football college, but I'm also at Cone as well. So yeah. I'm flipping between sort of two environments. I'm in a, I'm in a sort of a development environment at, at the college where, you know, I'm, I'm allowed to sort of play our way or my way. Um, you know, I, I'm putting varied practices on where, you know, whether it's a, a high press one week or it's a mid block when we're, you know, defending. And then we've got a lot of sort of time on the, on the practice field where as at Cone, you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's a must win environment. Obviously Saturday afternoon, you know, it's all about the three points. 
it's a competitive environment. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, teams playing teams, players playing for their shirts. You've, you've got to be adaptable in terms of obviously, you know, who you're up against. Um, you know, they might be a three-five-two. They might see your see your weaknesses. They might be exploiting your weaknesses. So you've just got to you've got to have that sort of plan A, that plan B, and that plan C. And then obviously the personnel as well. It's it's constantly changing. It's com- constantly evolving. You know, you're signing new players who are trying to fit into your system. So it's bringing all that together as well, isn't it? It's bringing that together, and and you know, it. The, 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 I think the, the biggest thing that's sort of progressed me since being back is the level of player. Um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to to work with some good players at Colm, you know, and it's a good blend of players. It's, it's a young player and it's an old player. I mean, we've had like Reese Webb Foster, Alex Curran, Brad Lynch, Matty Makinson, Joe Cov, you know, Tony Donaldson, Jamie Cook, like, you know, lads who have sort of been been unlucky and fell short of just, you know, that last hurdle from academy into pro football, you know, some yeah. of them at Blackburn and, and Bradford and, and you know, we had two lads from low, on loan uh, at Burnley at the time, Richard Taylor and Will Harris, who have gone on to, you know, sign pro contracts with Sunderland and Southend. So, been in, you know, been lucky with that aspect. And then, you know, some of the senior lads like Richard Bakes, Lee Pugh, Billy Priestley, Josh Hines, Dino, you know, Ryan Taylor, who um, who's currently with us at the minute at Corn, who, you know, who, who played in the Premier League for Newcastle and, and Wigan. So, it, it's, it's having that bland, blend of sort of youth and, youth and senior players and, and sort of, you know, testing the water. But like I said before, it's all those players just want to play football. So it's, yeah. it's, it's down to me, well, down to me and the coaching staff and the management staff to, to sort of give them, give them that environment um, and, and pro- provide them that platform of playing football, but also being able to get your messages across and, and develop them as, as best you can in that time. Definitely. So, do you know, all these players that are coming in on loan and stuff like that, um, do yeah. you feel there's a lot of pressure on their shoulders, you know, coming from a pro club into like they, they're expected to perform in a way? Do you know what I mean? Like to, yeah, I mean, we we'd, we'd never really sort of we, we never really well, apart from the, the obviously the Burnley lads, um, we, we we either got lads who was just sort of fell short and come out of the academy system, so you know, that was a big, big sort of test for them at the time because obviously mentally they've probably been you know they're, they're probably down you know they've, they've, they've just been told that they're not never going to make it or they're not going to make it with that that particular club they, they feel like it's a you know it's a downgrade coming into to non-league um you know and i think sort of the, the best thing you can do is you know get around them and and, and give them that reassurance and, and basically tell them that you know just enjoy your football you know whether it's a, a season whether it's two seasons and you know, we've seen that. I mean, Alex Curran, um, I wasn't there his first year at Colm, but apparently he was pulling up trees and, you know, his second year, which was my first year, you know, he, yeah. he, he did really well and he turned it into a positive and, you know, he got his move to, to Stockport County and, you know, same with, sort of, you know, Brad Lynch, who technically I think was one of the best players I've worked with and got released at Blackburn and, you know, he sort of felt like he had the world on his shoulders and, you yeah. know, I think you take the shackles off and just allow him to, to enjoy the football and, you do see the results and, you know, they, they do move on. Uh, whereas, you know, the two Burnley lads, I mean, credit to them. Uh, they got put out on loan. I don't know what the reasons were. I don't know whether it was to, to gain first team experience, to, 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 you know, get a little bit of a, a taste for men's football, to get roughed up a little bit in terms of the phys- physical aspect. But, I mean, Richard Taylor, he was he was superb. Um, you know, he, he returned back to Burnley and I think within six weeks, he ended up getting a pro contract. And, and Will Harris, you know, same. He was just a young kid, but, He's sort of he's he he was a young kid, but he had he had a mature head on on his shoulders, and 
he, he was brilliant. He ended up then getting a move to uh, another long, uh, another non-league team, but a little bit higher up than us. And then, like I said, he signed uh, signed pro at Sunderland. So I think with the the non-league environment now, it you know I think a few years ago maybe it was sort of seemed as you know nowhere near. But I think you look at you know managers who are, who are managing in long long non-league now, pros who have come into the end of the career who are then dipping into non-league or. Obviously, the Jamie Vardy story, you know, gone into non-league and they've made it into pro. So it's it's a you know it's a high standard of football. Uh, you know, it, it really is. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I was involved. I was involved in it for a little while as well with Glossop North End, um, and you know, I felt the same way there. Now, what do you feel like? Obviously, you mentioned earlier that you know some players feel like you know they've dropped down a level. You know, coming from maybe an academy or coming out on loan. Now, how do you feel their attitudes are, maybe egos? Like, do you ever get a player come in, you know, got a bit of a chip on the shoulder and they're like, I'm too good to be here? Or, you know, that comes down to you as a manager, coach as well, doesn't it, on how to deal with that and how to, you know, yeah. bring them down onto your level and make them feel part of the team, you know? I think, I think obviously, um, you know, you're dealing with expectations. You've, you know, they've gone from a Cat 1 facility where, you know, they've got a dome, they've got a 4G facility, they've got access to, you know, the strength and conditioning program, the, you know, the nutrition, the dietitian, you know, everything, the list goes, you know, the list is endless. But I think if you, if you develop a culture, uh, I mean, at Colm, uh, even, you know, under Steve Cunningham and then obviously now uh, with Nathan Rooney, you know, where we've not got 100% access to all those, all those things, but, you know, we do try and make it as professional as, as, as possible. You know, we have the, you know, the nutrition side of it, we the hydration side of it, we have this sort of strength program, even though we've not got an actual gym, uh, but we have a strength and conditioning coach who gives the guys programs. So I think if the lads see that you you are trying to give them, um, you know, the, the correct environment and yeah. and the professional environment in a non-league situation, I think they they do sort of respect that. Um, you know, and I think it's just touch time. I think I think it's sort of like I said, you know, being on the phone to them, texting them, you know, those things. You know, how are you getting on? Obviously, training tonight. You know, this is what we're looking to do, and you know. The, 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 the trainings it's it, I think it's it's the same but it's just not we, we've just not got the time period with them so where yeah. they'd be on the grass you know Monday through to Friday if, if you know you know they only got the Saturday game we'd only be on the grass Tuesday Thursday so we've got to try and cram in our sort of messages and our instructions uh, alongside obviously allowing them to sort of play you know because a lot of the lads are, are tradesmen that you know PTs teachers so we have got to sort of we have got to get that sort of blend of practice um you know right and you know we can't just be sort of like one way and, and, and you know, and, and isolating those those lads who just want to enjoy the football as well as getting a little bit of money on the side as well. Yeah, you know, we spoke about, um, you know, a bit of pressure as a player, you know, to get results and everything else at the non-league level. Now, what, what do you feel about pressure as a coach, manager? Like, is is that on your shoulders as well? Like, you always feeling, you know, like they do in the Prem, for example, that, you know, if performances aren't met, if results aren't made, then it could be out of a job. What's it like at the, you know, the non-league level? Um, I mean, I'm not a manager. I'm, I'm uh, you know, under Cunny, I was assistant manager. Uh, under Nathan, I'm, I'm first team coach. Uh, as a manager, it's something that I've never, at the minute, I've never really sort of been bothered about or never really been interested in. But, I, you know, I do see it. Um Non-league, it's it, it's getting bigger. You know, the finances are getting bigger. Uh, maybe not at Colm, but you know, the level up and the level above that, it's you know, they, they've they, you know they, they've got the board of directors, they've got the you know the money men, they've got the sponsorship. So you know, there is a bit of pressure on the managers. Obviously, 
you know, you do see it um, just like in the professional game, you know, managers getting sacked. Obviously, there's clubs that are loyal to the managers. Obviously, you know, win, lose or draw. If they, you know, if they get, you know, 10 games beaten, they'll still have a job. But, I mean, it just depends on on the, the club's EFO and, and the values and, and if they want to stick by that manager. But um, it is a results game, even though it's sort of semi-pro. Uh, it's still a results game. You know, the lads are getting, pay, uh, getting paid. So, I think when there is money involved, I think, and it's a results game, I think, you, you, you know, you do need to sort of provide those results and, and if you don't, then obviously you're you know, looking at maybe you know getting sacked or or getting let go, and so the pressure is there. Um, it's a tough it's a tough environment because, like I said, it's not full time. So you know, I know the players aren't obviously the players have got jobs, but some managers have got jobs as well. So it's it's getting that sort of that that fine balance. You know, you you want to try and give everything to it, but you know, at the end of the day, it's only a part time job, and you know, is it isn't probably isn't paying the bills in terms of you know what your full time job is. So um, it's a tough environment. It is a tough environment, but in terms of yeah, in terms of the pressure, it's it's there's pressure. There's fans, you know, who are paying money, and and like I said, you know, there's volunteers who are working around the clock. Uh, there's chairmen who are who, you know are putting money into the club. So there's there's, there's obviously you know there's, there's big pressures. Yeah. So Kai, you, you've obviously you know you you've got a really good background in coaching. You've coached at a lot of places, a lot of clubs, you know, your college and everything else. So you've been around a little bit, especially with being over in America and everything else. You've worked with some very successful people. Now, um, you know, if you had to pick one coach or one manager that you've worked, who you've worked under or with, who would your favourite one be that, you know, that you've talked more from than anything else? You know what? I, I actually well, couldn't, I couldn't just pinpoint one person. Um, again, it goes back to sort of just taking, little taking bit. little little bits from other people. Um, you know, I think again, if you if you take everything for one person and, and you just have that sort of copy and paste mentality, I think you, you almost sort of become become that person. I mean, I mean, I like I said, I mean, like you've said there, I've been I've been lucky enough to sort of travel the world and 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 work with a lot of people. Obviously, the ASF lads in 2015 with yourself and Jason and McCubrey and. Chris McKenna and Dave, you know, we had a very good staff there, and uh, you know, it was we were all all British lads, but we, you know, we had our own backgrounds and we all we had our own beliefs and our own values. But because we lived together, we we you know we bounced ideas off each other. Um, and then you know, I went down to North Carolina and and spent my time with you know Danny Murphy and Liam Kearney and Kenan Brannigan, and you know these guys were ex pros in Scotland and, and Ireland, and so I took a little bit from them in terms of you know in terms of the game and and, and their knowledge and understanding as a as a player going into a coach and then you know I've, I've worked under Dave Flitcroft um you know with strikers and 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 he's always allowed me to sort of go into that professional environment and just shot a shadow so when he was at Rochdale and Swindon and, and Barnsley and, and uh, Mansfield so the, the sort of big thing I sort of took from Dave was the adaptability you know he Seeing him work with an under nines group and then seeing him work with a pro, a, you know, professional football team, yeah, there wasn't much difference. And and a lot of people think that that's you know that's rubbish. But his 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 man management was brilliant. You know, he he'd get the best out of that individual or that team just by sort of talking to him and and seeing sort of him, you know him coach an under under nines team on a on a Saturday morning and then going you know being on the touchline. For a professional like League One team, it's yeah. it, it was you know that it was sort of the, the same sort of person. But then you know, Cunny at Combe, uh, you know, it, great man in management. You know, we would would come in and would have lost a game, and he, he you know he'd bollock one one of the lads for you know he'd, he'd pinpoint them and he'd pull them out in front of the dressing. He, he'd bollock them, but then 
he would never let that sort of ride into to after the showers into the clubhouse. He'd he'd always then have that that player back on his side and he'd have his arm round on around the shoulder. So I think with Cunny's man management, it it was superb. And I think I mean in the past where I've sort of you know lost my head a little bit, I'll I'll lose med and I probably won't speak to that player till you know the following Tuesday or the following Thursday whereas Cunny sort of he had that sort of that special thing about him where you know 30 minutes later he'd pull him to one side and, and they'd be best friends so respect uh, never lost with him no 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 not at all I think the players respected him for that you know I think they understood that they, you know they, they needed a bollocking at the time and you know we, we, we probably weren't getting the, you know the best out of him and, and he did it and then but they get him, he got him back on side but then you know, Nathan Rooney now, who's, who's currently you know manager at uh, Corn, and his attention to de- that detail it's it's second to none. I mean, he was you know a, a good friend of mine told me you know go and work with him. Uh, his timings and his preparation and his his detail is is, is superb and, and and he wasn't wrong. You know, he is he is he's anal, he's he's intense, but it's it's good. Um, and then Keith Mayer, who was my UEFA B tutor, who who you know who works for the for the FA, he's constantly keeping me engaged with sort of scenario based questions so you know he'll ring me up and he'll check in with me um but then he'll he'll sort of leave the conversation with a a scenario and and he'll say all right I'll leave that with you and then I won't hear from him for two weeks and then you know when we when I ring he'll mention it instead what do you think and you know little things like that and you know he'll call them little nuggets and, and all that kind of stuff and then you know, there's Mason McClelland, who again, like I said, a good friend of mine. Um, but he's relatable. Was you know, similar ages. We've had similar upbringings. Um, you know, we, we lived in the same places. But he's he's very much an open book policy. He's, he's currently over in Dubai, but he'll message me and say, "Listen, Kyle, do you fancy a chat? Do you want to pick brains? Let me pick your brains." And you know, he's on his he's he's done his A license now, and you know, he's he's sort of been there. He's you know, he worked with under 18s at Fleetwood. He's been at Bolton. He's been at Aki Stanley. So you know, he's he's but he's not big-headed he's not you know got you not got an ego and like I said he's, he's an open book policy so I think like I say you get a little bit of an understanding and and you get takeaways from a from from everyone who you want to get takeaways from and I mean even opposing managers uh my first season at Colm we, we played against Colwyn Bay and uh, the manager Craig Hogg now and he's currently there and he was playing a 4-4-2 diamond and for some reason I just couldn't I couldn't pick it out and you know I, I'm not I'm not you know, the kind of guy who you know, just keep it quiet. So, you know, I approached him after the game and, and we had a, a 10, 15 minute chat and we were talking about the system and, you know, what the benefits are and why he uses it. And I still speak to him now and, you know, over Twitter. And I think, I think if you're, if you're not sort of self-centered or you've not got an ego a little about you and, and you know, you, you see the, the good in people and, and what they can offer, you know, better than what you do and, and you take that from you, it's only going to develop you. Um, and, and, and players give you that as well. Players will always teach you new things, you know, how, how to sort of, you know, relate to players and uh, the relationship with your players, how they, you know, take instruction. And I think you just, you, you constantly, you're constantly, um, you know, taking good things away from, from, from everyone. Yeah. hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, so on to my next question now. So, um, you know, you spoke a little bit about ASF, you know, when we were out yeah. in America and stuff. Now I, you know, on my last episode, I mentioned Matt Driver. Yeah. Okay, you know, when we used to do our staff training two, three times a week at times, and that time, do you remember, he just, you know, he hit me hard, didn't he? Brought me back down to earth. And, and you know what? I'm just, I couldn't be more thankful to this day to him, though. Do you know what I mean? Because that, that was what gave me that reality check and, you know, basically made me the coach that I am today because, like I said, I focus more on 
be playing than anything else. And he could see that himself. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Um, now, I was thrown into the deep end, like really into the deep end where I had no clue what I was doing. And it only made me develop as a coach. So yeah. the question to you is, um, you know, when you're thrown into the deep end as a coach and out of your comfort zone, and, you know, you've got to adapt to the situation. Do you think it's a good thing? Well, I mean, first of all, I remember the days when when we used to have the staff training. And, and luckily for me, I was sort of his right-hand man or his technical director. So he never sort of put me under the spotlight or, or, or put me under the microscope. But, I mean, your year and the year before that, I mean, I saw, you know, lads who, who thought they were good coaches and who were good coaches, but I seen them cry and, and you know, Lucas Lawyer, I remember he's my first year, and, and Joel Needham, who was a good friend of mine, and uh, obviously yourself. And, and uh, I mean, you look at it, and is it the right way? Is it the wrong way? I mean, he was obviously, he was, he was the business owner. He was, you know, a AAA licensed coach. He, he knew his stuff. Um, you know, maybe was it, was it old, old school? Yeah, I think it was. You know, he's yeah, obviously, you know, a Scot, you know, he's a, he's a Scottish guy. He's, you know, he's a big, he's a tough, strong guy, but, it depends on the individual, I think. Um, I think sometimes it helps you, sometimes it hinders you. Uh, I personally like I like the pressure cooker environment. I like being chucked into the deep end. Yeah. You know, if I'm on my, if I'm on the courses and you know the tutors on, on that day one say who wants to coach first, and you know I like it. I'll, I'll always be the one who puts my hand up, and I sort of I think it's it, it just sort of puts me it puts me on that sort of it it, it shows me where I'm at. Uh, it you know, it, character too, doesn't it? I think so. I think it gives you a little bit of a backbone, but like I said, it, it's not for everyone. Um, obviously, uh, you know, it, you know, you know, Mark Siddle, and you know, he's he's a great kid. He's a great coach. Uh, he understands what his level is in terms of his age group. I know, obviously, he's gone on to to become a coach at uh, Liverpool International, uh, and he's he's over in sort of Asia now. And but at the time, he wasn't a confident lad. So I think if you was to put him put him in that sort of pressure cook environment in front of his his peers, you know, he's he's not going to thrive. Whereas obviously you know you you you'll have a, a stronger personality where you know that they're, they're not too bothered they'll they'll do it because you know they're confident or yeah um, but it, it, I think it really does it you know it, it does really sort of depend on the individual I mean uh, you know away from sort of a, uh, ASF you know when we had the the men's teams the Fury and the Crusaders I think I think I was definitely thrown into the deep end in that situation you know, I was I was given the assistance job and just right up before the start of the season you know the manager got. I don't know if he got sacked or he walked away, but I got given the manager role at AC Crusaders. It was tough because, you know, I felt like I was sort of out of my depth a little bit. Obviously, it was men's football. It was, I mean, it was seen as, as professional over there. Um, they weren't really my uh, my players. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sort of anything to do with the, the recruitment side of it. I was just sort of, you know, basically the... the yeah, your assistant. players deal with them. Basically. Yeah, so... You know, it was tough at the time and uh, I knew, obviously, the first season uh, with, with Nienad going, I knew that I needed to sort of see out the season with, 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 with what I've got. And then I got given the sort of manager's role for the second, you know, second season running and, and I knew what I needed to do because, obviously, I'd seen the season out and I knew, and I knew that we needed to sort of, you know, I needed to get a good staff around me. So that's where, I, you know, I asked Jason Smith, who obviously works at ASF and, I got took him on as my assistant, and we recruited local emerging talent, so lads who, you know, were sort of coming away from university, so D one, D two, D three players, um, you know, and and we 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 made training with a purpose, you know, that reflected our identity. So, you know, and and, and the results sort of happened. Obviously, I know that we we were we were the underdog out of the two, you know, the two Philadelphia teams, um, you know, the Philadelphia Fury, 
you know, spent a little bit of money and they've got these big name lads who, you know, some of them come from MLS and, you know, we, we were the underdog and I think we did really well that season. You know, obviously we didn't, you know, we didn't win it, but we, you know, we weren't down at the bottom. I think we were middle of the pack and um, I just think, yeah, with, with the pressure, pressure situation, I think, again, it just, it really is on the individual and, and again, yeah. what level that individual wants to be coaching at, you know what I mean? If, if it's just a, a volunteer grassroots um, dad who, you know, just wants to do it to help out with, help his son's team, you know, why put him under pressure? You know, he he doesn't want it. He's got a job in, he's a joiner through the day. Why He doesn't want the pressure, you know, as a, as a coach. He just wants to enjoy it. He just wants to put smiles on the kids' faces. Um, you know, academy coaches, it might be a little bit different. Uh, the pressure might be on it, you know, on those coaches. But again, why should there be, you know, pressure pressure on those coaches? You know, they've got a line manager, you know, in the in the head of coaching or their academy manager, and it's their job then to develop the the, the coaches as well as the players. So, brilliant answer that. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the Crusaders and stuff, and obviously even with them, you know, you had your ups and downs, didn't you? You know, I've seen you a few times throughout the season when I came and played against you. Um, I actually think you were the only manager in that league, Kyle, to. Um, wearing a shirt and pants am i right yeah yeah <laughs> well I'm, I'm big on my image on the touchline um i didn't well yeah i i, I don't know I, it was just one of those things um i i knew i knew what we were you know again like i said before we wasn't a we wasn't a big flash team you know we didn't have we didn't have a, a you know a a big budget it was all lads basically local lads who like i said had just finished college they were probably in that sort of gap year where, you know, they just wanted to enjoy themselves. They wanted to come back home and, and you know, get maybe a little bit of a part-time job. And they still had football on their mind. And as you know, in America, you know, the, the, the football career doesn't last longer than, than you know, the, than the college career. So it was just giving that... you a, Do you think that, sorry to cut you off, but do you think that, um, you know, sort of made you aware of what, what was going on in you know, non-league back here? Was it sort of the same type of feel or, you know, dealing with them players who were either still in education or were working a part-time role, still wanted to play football? Because you will get that, won't you, in non-league? You know, you've got a, you've got this player who still wants to make it pro and they're doing everything they can to get there and that might be a stepping stone. Um, you know, they're working a job as well as playing, but yeah, uh, committing more to the playing than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think with with I mean, obviously there's there's a couple of exceptions uh, in America, but I think with 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 America in in general, um, you know, they'll they'll play football um, to get into college. You know, yeah. education is first and foremost, and then once they once they do the three to four years at college, a lot of the kids or a lot of you know young men won't kick a ball again. You know, you'll get your you know you'll get like I said, you'll get your exceptions. Obviously, you know Shane Doherty, uh, you know who we coach in New Jersey, he's over in Ireland now playing. Um, you know, playing professional football, but the, the, the majority of, of those lads, once their education is, is paid for with, you know, with full ride scholarships, a lot of them don't play. And that's where I think I got a good buy-in from, from the lads who I recruited because they were coming, they were coming fresh out of that system. But I knew that it was only going to be a, a short term, uh, you know, a season or two seasons, because I know that, you know, they were qualified, they got the masters or the qualification and, and they wanted to become you know, a lawyer, or they wanted to become a banker and, you know, obviously, you know, being over there and, and, and having those types of jobs, you know, you're looking at, you know, triple figure uh, income. So, you know, playing sort of, you know, a, a low end professional football, um, you know, it isn't going to cut it for them. So 
I think I got the. I think again, I got the good a good blend. Um, you know, the, I would say seventy percent of, of lads who were sort of coming out of that college system, uh, and then the thirty percent was just basically lads who uh, senior lads in and around the you know in and around the area who, who who had those you know good jobs and had those like you know luxuries of of having a house and all that kind of stuff, but just wanted to 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 be engaged with football because they they didn't get that kick anywhere else because they don't do you know the the non-league system over there or. Yeah. Or the amateur system, so you know, I had like of Nico, um, Steinberg, I had um, and Richie Stone, and you know, obviously Tetsu and stuff like that. So I had, a, you know, I had four or five senior players that are wrapped around me. Again, I was only young; I was a, I was an experienced playing, you know, working with with men's football. So I had good senior lads who, who I knew and I trusted, and I, I had them around me as as well as obviously Jason and and we sort of guided the young lads young lads through. But then they also guided us through with with sort of that physicality and that fitness how did um, you find the college football you know because you when you went back to boston you know you're working with yourself again like you were obviously in it weren't you for a little while you know what yeah. did you feel as you know standard you know the way it's ran um the money that's put into it it's crazy isn't it yeah it is it is i mean i was i was lucky because i, I worked with with an english guy i didn't you know the the, the, the head coach there james uh he was he was english he was from the midlands so he understand football. Um, oh, sorry. Who he understood football. Whereas I think again with the players, it, it, football for American uh, for American players isn't long term. It, it, it's short term. You know, there's you know if you was to ask a, an eighteen year old kid, uh, you know, what do you want to be, uh, and, and the answer would be a professional footballer. Whereas if you was to ask a, a American kid who's in who's playing football in college over in America, what do you want to be, and they will give you you know a, a banker or they will give you a lawyer or you know that. That is their answer, and it, it's it is pretty sad to sort of see. And it's also crazy. How it is. yeah, it's also crazy though that we do have our you know 17, 18 year old lads who are leaving from here to go on a full scholarship or going over there to play college, and you know for them to be put into that environment, you know what do you feel? How much of an impact is it going to make on their career? I mean, it, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a great environment to be in. You, I mean, you've seen some of the facilities, the, the state. Oh yeah, it's incredible. You know, it's amazing. Um, the, some facilities are better than sort of you know the low end Premier League teams, but um, and and like I said, they do get the you know they get their hours uh, on the training field. They get the the experiences of you know the away games, and you know they're not like our away games where you're getting on the coach. You know, some depending on what league you're in, you, you're getting on the plane and you're going over yeah. the West Coast. So you know they, they will they will. You know, gain valuable experiences and, and different challenges, but it's it's the, it's the route after that where they want to go down. You know, is it the MLS route where they want to do? So you know, look at someone like Jack Harrison, who's who's you know doing really well at Leeds. He was he was at Bolton, then he went to Man United, got let go at Man United as a schoolboy, and and his his mum told him, you know, or said to him, you know, why don't you go over to to America? And he went, you know, from being at a, a junior college into basically college, and then and then getting drafted. I think first round pick, uh, first round pick in the MLS for for um, for New York. So, and he's 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 obviously then come back and played Premier League. So, it, it it can happen. It does happen. But I think it's not as it, it, it's a fine margin. It's not as much as as it, as it does over here. Um, and I I think the strands the strands off MLS. There's there's very little. Obviously, there's the USL Pro, there's the USL, but again, they don't have the you know they don't have the non-league um, you know semi-pro uh, or you know from from obviously Premier League Championship all the way down to sort of amateur. They they just don't have it. The they'll have 
you know, the MLS, the USL Pro, and then they'll have a bit of recreational soccer, and and, and that's yeah. all really. And it's even at that USL level, though, like you see, most of them clubs, they they have about you know seven, eight, nine apartments on complexes that they have their players stay in. So that even shows you that they're not pumping that much money into it, where they can pay that player a good wage, where you know they can go and get their own house, you know, live a nice life, nice car, all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, the wages. Low. System. It does. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's just, just how it is. I mean, it, it, you look at MLS clubs, and it might have changed differently. But when I first started out, you know, uh, the the Philadelphia um, Union, they were they were a new franchise at the time. They'd just been accepted to MLS, and you know, usually when there's a first team environment, there's usually an academy underneath that, and. You know they don't really do that. They they concentrate on the franchise as, as a whole, and they'll, they'll have a first team surrounding it. And then five years later, then they'll start developing. You know the grassroots. Uh, sorry, the the academy system. But you, you've missed out on five years worth of you know development and and you know potential sort of recruiting coming, coming through your system and producing yeah. your own players. So I think this they're slowly sort of doing that now. And and you know hopefully you know when there's franchise going in that they are putting a. A, an academy system in pretty much straight away and then hopefully then that will, will will bring through more emerging you know talent and I think that's why there was there was leagues like the ASL league that that was produced because you know you got people who who were seeing the MLS and a lot of it was was foreign influx um you know you, you South Americans you know you're British um you know you're French Canadians and, and all that kind of stuff so I think for America it's it's they've, they've got to try and caption those young kids to show them that there is a career in football There's a pathway. Um, and they don't have to go down that sort of that academic pathway and the, there yeah. is a pathway. And once they can, they can bridge that sort of clear, clear pathway and hopefully then expose sort of more opportunity uh, to, to American kids, to American football. Definitely. So I'm now on to me, uh, my next question, Kyle. So what's some of the toughest moments and toughest situations that you've had to deal with as a coach? You know, this doesn't just apply to on the field either. It could be something that happens away from the pitch you know, because I know some really hard things I've had to deal with. So I was just wondering, you know, what you've had to deal with on your end. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was, um, and um, I've always sort of spoke about it to, to people is, so 2013 was my, my first proper year out in America uh, where I had my, my nine-month visa and, you know, I was, I was in the coaches' houses. We had, you know, the coaches' cars and, you know, you're living that lifestyle of, you know, you're getting paid, but you've not got really any any outgoings going out. The only outgoings you've got is, you know, a gym membership, you know, your food yeah. bill um, and a little bit of sort of spending money on, you know, in the pubs and stuff. But 2014, uh, I think it was the year before you came out and I got given the, the sort of, the, the you know, the opportunity to become technical director and, you know, my pay increased and my role increased. But, you know, with, with that was... Um, you know, my transition to, to basically fend for myself. So rather than living in, you know, in the uh, in the accommodation with the, with the lads and, and having a company car, I had to sort of get all that myself and, you know, look for an apartment and look for, you know, a car and everything. And I remember flying out in, you know, in February and I, I was skint, you know, me, me, and, me, and the, me and the lad who I sort of, um, you know, got the role with and, you know, we, we were sort of on pennies and for about three months, you know, we, we were literally living on sort of dollar menus. Uh, you know, we were going to McDonald's and, you know, we were having sort of $1, me- uh, you know, $1 burgers and, you know, chicken. And, and we, you know, we, we were eating rubbish just because that was, that was the only thing. We, yeah, yeah I, but that was, that was the only thing we could afford. And, you know, the most difficult thing was where we've got, you know, we were sort of 
you know these 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 guys with with not high power, but we were in a we were in a position where we were sort of seen higher than the, you know the, than the coaches. But the coaches had the, the most. The coaches had the better gig. You know they yeah. they got they got paid the you know twelve hundred pound um you know money at the end of the month and they got a free car they got a free living and you know obviously my money was was more but then my expenses were more and and I think it took me at least 13 months 40 months just to get straight um and then obviously away from that was was being away from my family and friends for for 18 months um because that first proper year I ended up staying over Christmas so obviously I was I was there for for 18 months and you know with that you you know you miss Christmas you miss you miss birthdays you miss weddings and you know, it, it, it's a tough, it's tough. So, you know, you can make it, you can make it look as good on social media and people thinking, blinking at like, he's living the life of Riley and look at that. It's, you know, what an environment he's in and blink like, you know, it, it's brilliant. But, you know, deep down, it, it, it's tough, you know, when you've got the sort of real life in terms of paying the bills and, and fending for yourself a little bit. And like I said, you know, our diets were, they were atrocious. You know, we were, we were really, we were eating takeaway every day. And you know, five dollars will. And I think our our treat was a Saturday when we treated ourselves to all you can eat Olive Garden, and we had gnocchi soup and breadsticks, which was I think ten ten dollars. So yeah, yeah that was that I was tough. When you were telling me the story, and I was like, "There's no way it can be that tough." But then you know, the year later, I went into it by myself as well, didn't I? I thought, yeah. you know, well, I can't be living with no one no more. Got my own apartment, got my own cars, literally, you know, everything. I had my missus with me. So I know how tough it was to get yourself up on, on your feet and, you know, to get yourself moving. And obviously it worked out for me, it, you know, yeah. it really did. And, you know, in the long run, and I'd, I'd probably still be in there now. But, you know, tough, you know, things happen, don't they? Yeah, there's uh, obviously... for a reason too. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's ups and downs and, and you know, there they were some of the down points, but then, you know, there was some great up points. And it's, like I said, it, everything happened for a reason. And, you know, the experience... I don't think I would change it. I think it, it taught me like life lessons and, um, you know, and, and like I said, me, me and the lad who, who I sort of lived with and, and went through that sort of tough time with, you know, we always said like, if we, if we ever become sort of famous and, you know, and we had an autobiography, that would be part of the chapter. And, you know, yeah. it was, it was a tough time and you can always sort of relate to that, um, you know, and, 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 you know, when you're talking about tough times with, with young players, you know, you can always go back to that and, and, and go through it and say, listen, I've, you know, I've been there, you know, I've, I've been on my ass. It's, you know, it's not good, but if you work hard, you, you know, you'll see, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And going through them tough times away from home as well, it just makes it ever so more, you know, tough, doesn't it really? I felt that way anyway, like, you know, being away on me, you know, by myself and I've not got my family there to, you know, go and have that little chat with, you know. Sure yeah. You I mean, know. obviously, I know that you had, obviously, I, I know you had a family, family uh, relative who passed away when you were over there. And uh, I mean, yeah. I was sort of, I didn't have that, but I know that, you know, lads, they, they were going through, you know, breakups of, you know, family relatives passing away. And, you know, it, it, it's tough because, you know, you, it's things you, it's out, it's out of your reach, you know, there's things you can't do. And, you know, if you, if you was to sort of travel back, uh, drop an at every time something went wrong, then, what's the point of you being in America, you know, so you've got to, you've got to sort of, you've got to ride with it. Um, you know, you've got to take the, take the tough times on the chin, um, you know, and, and like you said, it, it is tough, but I think it does sort of build character and it. it does make you stronger in the long run. Yeah. comes that maturity as well. It's mad how much it matures you, especially with me going out to such an early age. It matured me, you know, massively yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about tough moments, Kyle, you know, I'm going on a little bit here, but, how much of a devastating impact do you think COVID's had on grassroots football and academy football? Well, uh, 
massive impacts on everyone, really. Uh, players, coaches, club, volunteers. Uh, so, obviously, from grassroots even. all the way up to sort of non-league, even professional. Um, Finance all- as well, when you think about it. Just, you know, from, from sponsors for grassroots clubs, you know, pulling out because now they can't fund their own business and little things like that. It's, yep. it's things that you don't think about, isn't it? That it yeah. takes them devastating so on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, there's so many negatives to it. Um, but, I mean... The only thing you can really do is sort of take the positives from it. I mean, my my job at the college at the minute, it's you know I've had to I've had I've, I've, I've had to adapt my role massively. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm more more a personal trainer than I am a coach. You know, I'm delivering sort of home workouts. Um, you know, whether they're sort of hit workouts, mobility workouts, cardio workouts. Um, so I'm you know delivering sort of six seven of those you know a, a week. But it's given me a clearer understanding. Um, you know what I need to do sort of when I get back on the pitch and when I get back into full time and. It's actually given me a, a better relationship with, you know, with my sort of players, um, because they they see me in my own personal environment. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that I'm sitting, I'm sitting on my couch talking to them. But you know, I've got my Zoom on and, and I'm doing a workout in my living room, and, and they're seeing what I'm all about. And you know, it, it, it's also given me sort of time to delve more into their individual learning reports and, and what they need to work to, you know, to get better, and you know, what their strengths are and what the weaknesses are. Um, and just sort of give me give me more time to plan sessions, uh, you know, when we return. So I'm I'm coming more away from sort of the the whole whole the whole picture sort of scenario and going more sort of player centred because I know when we do return, you know, it, it it I can't be just sort of giving them the sort of tactical tactical tactical. You know, the, some of these lads, you know, great that doing all the home workouts and great they're doing all the you know the five k to ten k runs on a ball. They're not getting the touches, they're not getting the change of direction, not getting the stop-start feel. So, you know, I've got to, I've got, well, not me on my own, but, you know, us as coaches, we've got to sort of really sort of look into that and delve into that and, and give them that sort of easiest, easiest sort of plat- uh, platform and that pathway so when they do return, you know, you can get the best out of them. How difficult do you think it is going to be when they return? Uh, it's going to be difficult. Uh, I just think with, let's just say you've, you've, you've you know, you've got a, a team that's sort of quite equal uh, from top to bottom, but then you know you might have one player who's who's, who's had the the environment at home, who's got the you know the, the garden outside, who's got the pitches and the pop up nets, but then you might have you know one child who who's not you know not lucky to have that sort of um, that environment or, or those those things. So you know their learning development, um, you know it, it's going to have harmed them massively. So you. You've got to be seen, you know. You've got to be seen noticing that. You've got to be sort of, you know, nurturing the players when they come back. Um, you know, I, I think the big thing for me, rather than me sort of taking a session on my own, I'm going to bring in my, my two other coaches and and we're going to group off and we're going to, you know, we're going to work with sort of three, four yeah. players at a time. And yeah. and rather than me sort of taking, you know, sixteen players, I, I'm going to share my players with with other coaches. And I just think that way, then it's. They're getting more from the coaches, and uh, you know, because I think it's the little details that they're going to be sort of, you know, having to play catch up on, and uh, that's the big thing. Um, I, I mean, in terms of games, I don't think there's going to be any competitive games, especially in the college. Maybe Cole might be a little bit different because they might come, they might, um, they might make up a little bit of a, you know, fifty percent, you know, play everyone once or or whatever. But the college, because it's it's running with uh, education, I just don't think we will play competitive games. So it's basically about putting their fitness into practice, uh, but just getting as many touches of the ball, getting the technical side of it, um, and just the small group sessions, really. Yeah, so obviously you just spoke about your college players. Um, I'd like to speak about more, you know, your younger individuals, and, you know, you do um, a lot of group sessions yourself, you know, just like myself. Now, from the, you know, the first lockdown we went through, what was it? It was like three, four months or something, wasn't it? Something like that. 
But yeah. once I started up my sessions again, you know, I had players who've come in who've, you know, they, they've been stuck in the house three months with, you know, their three, four-year-old little brother or sister. And I felt like they were mentally behind massively, you know, because, you know, they just weren't developing mentally and the maturity wasn't there. Um, do you think that's a big impact? Do you think that's going to happen all over again? Or do you think kids are going to be more behind now than ever? They've not gone to school. They're not interacting with people on a daily basis. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think huge impact, um, I, I, you know, not, not even just kids. I mean, I remember it, the first lockdown when we come out of that and we were allowed to do, you know, the one-to-one coaching. Uh, I had Harry Brockbank, who's professional at, at Bolton, and I remember his first session and he'll remember it. And, and it, it was an absolute dire session. Everything sort of broke down and, and it wasn't even, you know, his sort of technicals. It was his, his body mechanics, you know, the way he sort of ran and, and, and his lateral movements and his stop starts and his turning and, and we brought in the, uh, you know, within the ball, and he, and he was getting, he was getting annoyed with himself because it wasn't the perfect pass. And I kept on saying, listen, you know, it's repetition, repetition, repetition. Obviously, the more, you know, the more you do it, the better you become. And and you know, this is me telling a professional footballer, you know, and it, and he was getting frustrated. So it's going to happen to the kids, you know, whether it's you know eighteen all the way down to you know to, to nine year olds. And you know, I, I think it's it's stripping it back. It's getting back to that sort of ball mastery and okay. and getting touched to the ball and. You know, getting that creativity, um, you know, side of side of it uh, back into them, and and um, and and then sort of building it up. You know, your one v ones, your competitive football, uh, your two v twos, your three v threes, and obviously your game scenarios, but small sided games, but with just sort of key messages in there. Um, and again, I, in terms of obviously the format, um, I know I've seen quite a lot of sort of grassroots coaches, you know, posing the question of, you know, do we do we delay them and do we just restart this year next year and and you know the maybe the you know the kids who are going from nine v nine to eleven v eleven do you know do they just keep doing that nine v nine format and it there's there's so many questions what need answering um obviously I mean I, I don't think I'm the person for that um but it, it's going to be tough it, I mean it's it's kids away from football it's you know it's it's how they sort of you know they develop, you know, you, you know, young babies who, or sorry, young toddlers or kids who haven't had the chance to go to nursery or school and the fundamental skills and the social skills. And, you know, they're only seeing mum and dad and or, or grandma if they're in the support bubble. And, you know, when they, you know, when they see other kids, you know, are they going to be sort of threatened by them? Are they going to sort of pull themselves away from them? And, you know, they're going to sort of have that sort of strange, stranger danger feeling to them, even though, you know, it might be, you know, Auntie Julia who's, you know, who's family and, it's going to be tough on a lot of people. Um, I mean, even now, you know, me when I go for for walks and stuff, and you all you automatically have that sort of that that sense of, oh, you're in my space and you yeah, know what you're doing, what? sort of thing. And you I know, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a hands-on kind of person. I'm, I'm very touchy. You know, high five, shake hands. Um, you know, I don't think I've actually shook someone's hand for for nine months and. And when it does come to around to that time where people are going to be shaking hands again, you, you know, you, you have that awkward interaction now with people, don't you, where you're meeting someone new for the first time and you don't know whether to, you know, stand back to the yard, shake their hands, hug them, you know, it. how long is that going to go on for? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How, it, when is it ever going to feel normal again to walk up to someone, shake the hand? Like, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, obviously, like, you know, if you're if you're in an office, it's a little bit different because, you know, you, you have that desk where it separates you or, you know, you... But within football and, and sport in general, it, it, it's so tough because, you know, it, like, you know, in the warm-ups, it's, you know, jump on someone's back or, you know, like being in twos, being threes and yeah. rondo, you know, tight areas. And, and like I said, 
you know, celebrations and it just just everything really. And it it just it does take away that sort of that that sort of that relationship uh, factor. I mean, even at Cole now and in, in this season and under new management and a lot of new players, you know, we've not had a night out together. We've not the lads haven't bonded uh, together. You know, we've we're not even allowed to shower in the changing room. So it you know it's tough. I mean, we've we've been lucky to you know we've we've got results and we're currently top of the league and you know we're doing well. But I, I think you know what's you know brilliant to and fair play to and we're just, you know we're top of the league and. We've actually not had, actually had any like bonding time as a team to sort of you know get together and the the, the new players see the management uh, you know away from you know a competitive environment and just sort of see them in you know in a in a in a pub or in a bar or so it's um yeah it's 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 going to be a it's going to be a tough one it's going to be a, it's going to be a weird transition I think but I think just us, us as coaches I think we've just got to make sure that we 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 develop a good practice obviously a safe practice and and just transition slowly and. You know, not not sort of think about trying to sort of you know start from where we left off, and I think you just have to. I think we're going to have to sort of dumb it down a little bit and 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 really sort of like work on that sort of that's that psychology psychology corner and 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 delve into that side of it. You know, more than ever. I know it's I know it's big on the, the coaching courses now, and but I think you know the, the the coaches have got to look at that. You know, rather than sort of just just zoning on the technical and the tactical and the and the physical. I think the social and the psychology is is, is massive now. 100% it's massive so we, we, we you know we've we spoke there a lot about you know a few negatives and everything else so I'd love to you know we've covered loads so I want to end this you know episode two on on a positive note so I've got one more question to ask you okay yeah. um what's one of your most memorable moments and biggest achievements as a coach um well because we've spoke a little bit about obviously America and England so I'll, I'll sort of my 10-year career has been half and half so I'll talk I've got I've got a couple in America. I've got a couple in England. So talk about the AC Crusaders. Um, you know, obviously, we were, like I said before, we were the underdogs, um, and with the other Philadelphia team, the Philadelphia Fury at the time, they were the big spenders. You know, they got lads, you know, come come down from from the MLS and, and all that kind of stuff. And we played them in the the home opener at the uh, in the ASL, and we played them at home, and and we ended up beating them six five. So that was a big thing for me, um, just because it was it, I was new to it. I'd put a lot of time and effort into it. Uh, I was up against my, my my boss, Matt Driver, who we spoke about. Obviously, yeah. you know, triple A license and you know this this sort of this this big personality, and and you know, I end up beating him. And and you know, the, the following day, when you know we were in this the staff meeting, and and he you know he, he shut me hand in the kitchen and said, "Very well done for last night." So that was a big that was a big thing um, away from sort of the the win win environment. Um, again, just just. Help help developing young lads um, gain you know a, a pathway into full ride scholarships at college. So obviously you know the under 18s, which you know you you did a couple of sessions with, um, you know you know Derek Derek McKinnon and and uh, Louis Velotti and Shane Doherty and and all those guys. You know, yeah, you know great lads, great kids, all like local lads, and you know they end up being obviously you know. The, the best in New Jersey and then you know best in the state best in the region and they end up being national national champions and it's not you know I'm not taking credit for it because it was Matt Driver's teams but I, you know I had a part to play in it and you know went to sort of um, you know tournaments with them and, and got to know them on a personal note and again you know to this day you know keeping contact with a lot of them now you know they finish university now they're you know the men and the starting up families and starting careers in the jobs and stuff. And, you know, that was a, it was a, that was a good thing. Uh, just seeing them, you know, going into that sort of college and 
and not just them as there's there's as players it was you know the families as well you know getting emails and you know thanking saying thanks very much for being a part of it you know you've you've saved us you know x amount in tuition fees you know it wouldn't have been able to go to that school he wouldn't be able to get that sort of uh, education if if it wasn't for for you you know for you being a part of that so that was a you know a massive achievement um and then just in england um you know quite a lot but i would say sort of at corn uh, the 18 and 19 season uh, you know, with Steve Cunningham, it's Lanks Cup final. Uh, we lost three-one to Southport, who obviously two two leagues above us at the time. We were unfortunate, really, because we we had the um, you know we had the playoff semi-final uh, three days later, so we couldn't field our strongest team. Uh, but you know, it was it was great to be at the Reebok and you know and being in front of all our fans who deserved a, a sort of good day out. Uh, just touched on it there, sort of playoff semi-final. Um, you know, brilliant season. We were undefeated uh, against all the top top four teams in the league, and you know, end up losing two one and conceded in the 119th minute. You know, we were unfortunate. Reese Webb Foster got sent off, and he was the goal scorer, and he got sent off for for what shouldn't have probably been a sending off. But you know, ten men, and we're we're, we're sort of fighting to go to into extra time, and then we end up conceding uh, on the 119th. Sorry, we went into extra time and then conceding on the 119th minute, so we couldn't quite get over the line with the penalties. And then just to top that off, we you know we got into the second round qualifying uh, in the FA Cup and we played against FC United and, and as you know obviously you know the the, the off spin at, uh, of Manchester United so massive day out for the fans massive day out for me you know being in being at sort of FC United's ground and you know the, the sort of the history that comes with it and and the 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 end with all the scarfs and all the flags and stuff so yeah that was a that was a a really good sort of a, a really good season really it had, it had a little bit of everything. Amazing. So you've told us some absolutely great stories there, and I'm sure our listeners will love that. Especially, you know, everyone that you know has been been commenting on our posts about um, you know, listening to your story and your background in the game. You know, a lot of your players have been following us and everything else. So I think it'd be really interesting for everyone listening, Kyle. So um it's been an absolute pleasure. So we'd like to thank you for coming on for Coaches World Podcast episode two. Um, to everyone who listens, make sure you're following us on both Instagram and Twitter at coachesworld underscore podcast to keep up to date with our upcoming episodes. Kyle, thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Charlie. You take care. All right. All right. Bye-bye.